Good morning. Welcome back to the broadcast for Timer Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Sunday for Sunday, February 19th, 2023. We've got another great show for you this week as members of the media, academia, financial services, and government stand by to analyze all the news and events for the week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of BRN Sunday. We're going to kick things off, as we always do on the program, with a look at what's happening on Capitol Hill in terms of legislation, regulation, litigation. Joining us on the line, they're known as the Legal Eagles. They're also known as David Levine Kevin Walsh. Both are principals with Groom Law Group. That is an employee benefits law firm based in Washington, D.C. Gentlemen, how are we doing this morning? We are doing wonderful, Jeff. Thank you, thank you as always for having us. You know, it, 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 we're, we're getting later in February, and it feels like spring might just be around the corner. And spring has sprung, and so have we. But and if those of you who, who have children who have gone to music together, you'll recognize the song. But with that said, uh, I'll defer to you as to what's top of mind today. Yeah, uh, Kevin, do you want to kick us off? I think uh, you have some things you want to talk about in terms of the uh, regulatory challenges and also ASA. Yeah, happy to, happy to kick it off. And I, I think one thing that we always watch and one thing we talk about is, you know, we do uh, – legislation, litigation, and regulation. And one thing that, you know, comes up from time to time is when DOL does regulations and folks are unhappy about it, um, you know, is DOL essentially infallible or are there are there ways that people can challenge DOL rules and potentially have them changed, modified, or struck down? Uh, and last week we saw an example of, you know, what happens when someone's unhappy with a DOL rule and they, they went to court. And the, the example this week is uh, ASA versus Walsh. And in that case, essentially, what happened was in, in 2020, the Department of Labor issued an exemption. And in the text before the exemption, where they're explaining what they're doing, um, they made some changes to a longstanding rule relating to, you know, when somebody is subject to DOL's rules and standards. So when someone's a fiduciary. Um, ASA filed suit in the Middle District of Florida and said two things. First was, you know, you can't change rules like that. Uh, without going through notice and comment rulemaking. So unless it's actually a rule itself, uh, you can't change when somebody is a fiduciary. Uh, they also said, you know, and, and deal all the change that you made here was arbitrary and capricious um, because it conflicts with the statute and it conflicts with other courts' decisions relating to when someone is a, a fiduciary. Um, you know, so those are kind of two magic standards for challenging a rule. One is... You know, essentially, you're saying the agency used the wrong process, uh, and the other is you're saying the agency acted arbitrarily and capriciously. Because, you know, at bottom, if an agency is going to issue guidance, if it's going to issue rules, if it's going to issue interpretations, um, it can't do it in like an arbitrary and capricious way. It's got to be able to provide a reasonable support for the conclusion it's making. Now, judges won't look very far to see if it's reasonable, but you know, it can't be unsupported or against the statute or something. Um, now, in this case, uh, what happened was the the judge in Florida uh, ended up agreeing with ASA that the way that DOL was changing the rule was arbitrary and capricious. So the judge looked at everything and said, hey, you know, 
uh, DOL, this language interpreted one way for almost 50 years. Now you're saying not only does it, is it interpreted the other way, but that it would be absurd to interpret it the way that ASA wants to interpret it. Um, you know, DOL, we're not, I'm not buying it if you're saying that it's the absurd result to interpret something the way that even you interpreted it in, uh, in 2016. So, you know, where this leaves folks really in terms of rulemaking is, you know, if DOL issues a, a, some document that, that, you know, has a legal impact on them, this highlights the way that folks would go about, you know, seeking to have a judge change it if the agency itself is unwilling to change it. Um, and what's, what's particularly interesting here was that, you know, when you have someone who's challenging something like an FAQ or um, a compliance assistance release, um, you know, we're, it, it reinforces the idea that it's not just, you know, really big actions that, that an agency has to be uh, careful about, but that agencies really ought to be careful and they ought to be thoughtful about even, you know, things that, that the regulated community might refer to as even website updates. Uh, David, do you have anything you want to add about challenges to rulemaking? Sure, I will. And uh, I want to add one note. One thing that was interesting in the decision is the fact that it picked up some of the decision involving the case involving a record keeper and some of their advice they were providing where the DOL rule was finally rejected. So you can see courts are sort of tying a little bit of a thread together on that. So there's something to note. One other thing I'll mention very quickly, because I know I think, Kevin, you said it also well, was that there's also a second thing. We've all we've talked about ESG, environmental social governance guidance, the yin, the yin and yang back and forth between Democrat and Republican administrations. There is activity moving through the House of Representatives and the Senate even to use the Congressional Review Act, which we've talked about before, which basically allows Congress to basically say, agency, we're rejecting your rule. You can't go in this rule. It basically bars them from going back into the rule uh, to, to shut it down. Now, there is. it looks like it will pass in the House in the Senate, the Biden ESG guidance, they're, I think they're, as, of this, as of this moment that I last looked, it was like um, one, and we're recording on Friday, one, uh, one vote away potentially from being able to get the votes to basically use this Congressional Review Act to strip this rule. Now, let's, for those who are anti-ESG, don't get too excited because President Biden will, in all expectations, veto this. So you would have to override a veto. But the point is, it shows that the Department of Labor's guidance is getting pushback on a lot of fronts. Does it mean that it's all going to get pushback? No. But it does it highlight that there is a that there's a we're in an interesting phase of give and take between what the regulators put out and what the courts and the regulated community and legislative community re- do in reaction to it. So it's an interesting world. And Jeff, I'm sure we'll have much more to talk about in coming weeks. Yeah, yeah it sounds like it. It's not like we don't have anything to talk about. Just real quick, uh, and the reason, so the president would veto, you need, what, two-thirds majority to override a veto, is that correct? I, I, that should be right. I, I okay. haven't thought about yeah, it. Yeah, you need two-thirds to overturn. Yeah. You okay. need two-thirds to overturn a veto. And, and that would just that would just not happen. I mean, that's just not going to yeah, happen. I, that, I Go They're ahead. not going to get it in the Senate. It's just not going to happen. It, yeah, I mean, it just—it's just not happening. Uh, last question, gentlemen, before I let you, you go off to your, um, you know, your relaxing day. Um, does the fact that there is a Congressional Review Act and these reviews does that change the mindset of the Department of Labor? Like, or do they just keep pushing ahead? I mean, 
there's a yin and yang, as you said, in a de- democratic uh, process, right? There's back and forth. So do they adjust their thinking when it comes to new rules and regulations? Um, or is it just the train just has left the station and we're going to keep going and fulfilling our agenda as we see it? I'll take that. I think the very simple answer on that is the DOL is likely to keep moving forward. But, of course, if there are judicial decisions that strike down things, they will, of course, give that consideration and figure out how to address it. Because I don't think any of us likes anything we do struck down, and they'll be evaluating how it's best to approach. Yeah, really good, really good um, analysis there. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us this morning, and we look forward to having you back on the program again next week. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, listeners. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you stuck with a low credit score? A credit report and score that's causing you to be denied credit or pay higher interest rates than others for the same things? Then do what Terrence did and call Credit Repair for your free credit evaluation to help restore your credit. I started thinking about buying a new house and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I I liked what he was saying. Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit. I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit Repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score. Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation. Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152. Again, 800-819-4152. Welcome back. Now it's time to talk a little markets. And uh, joining us on the line, uh, he is the lead anchor for the TD Ameritrade Network, 
Oliver Rennick. Good, good, good morning, Oliver. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you, as always, Jeff. Happy to. Well, it's our pleasure, and we always enjoy your uh, thoughtful analysis. Oliver, let's let's start things off with a look at the the market. Um, you want to give us your sense for where the market is uh, this uh, what is the second or third week of February? Things are definitely getting a little bit more complicated. The blistering rally from the first month of the year kind of ran into a wall. Uh, it's somewhat of a permeable wall, and bulls are trying to push through to some very important technical breakout levels. It sort of happened. We saw Bitcoin trading to 25000 for the first time in nine months. Um, we saw the S&P pushing above forty-one to 42, really trying the S&P 500 to get above where it was after Jay Powell sounded pretty dovish on the first of the month at that most recent FOMC. However, the wall is basically a wall of economic data that is fairly surprisingly strong, especially on employment, and then, of course, inflation. Everybody has known that employment is strong. Everybody has known the predicament the Fed is in trying to achieve the balance of killing inflation without killing the economy. But right now, there is a major complication uh, in the labor market, which is starting to translate into inflation from a demand side. Um, And that's very important because we have seen quite a bit of disinflation over the last five months. That's what Powell sounded very optimistic and dovish about earlier this month. However, the disinflation largely is coming from supply chains returning to normal and supply pressures easing. But now after this week, we see inflation actually warming up on a month-over-month basis. Really, the only explanation for that is that there is demand now coming from the other side of the ledger, the demand side, as opposed to the supply side. There's inflation coming from the demand side now because people are able to take jobs, support themselves, maybe not as frothy and uh, wild as the COVID stimulus days, but a different type of economy and labor market in which prices can remain quite sticky due to employment. And so the stock market suddenly is slowing down, wondering if Powell is going to have to get hawkish again. So uh, to that end, uh, Oliver, and uh, you bring up inflation, and we had an economist from Texas A&M talking about food prices, um, and he said, and you know, I mean, he's one, you know, what do they say? If you have a room of economists, twelve economists, you all twelve different thoughts about the economy. Um, I forget who said that, but but you know what I mean. Uh, and he said that you know it, it just didn't look like food prices were going to come down anytime soon. That's a lot of headwind. I mean, you mentioned that there's jobs being created. People are finding jobs. There's, I wouldn't say we're at full employment, but we're, you know, we're at that statistical place where it, it's close to full employment. But, but what about these, these food prices? And does that give you, and more importantly, the market any pause? Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, because the thing is that food prices, here's the thing. If we've achieved a, a certain price for, I won't say eggs. Everybody was talking about eggs. Yeah. Because, but there's some other things going on there, avian flu, et cetera. Let's just say bacon, okay? Um, I like to have bacon and eggs. That was my snack growing up. I try not to eat as much anymore. 
But it's a pretty good staple. You can eat it for breakfast. You can eat it for lunch. If uh, you really need to, you can eat it for dinner. Once the price of bacon gets to a level, it's hard for it to go down unless the overall economy slows down. Um, the supply chain stuff that really complicated the situation, um, I don't think it really applies to food quite as much. I mean, it, it more was like a technological semiconductor, chip making. Um, and yes, obviously we import a lot of food and grocery items too, and the goods that go in the basic feed items that go into all that. The chicken producers tell us that they do deal with inflation and supply problems. But ultimately, for the most part, prices now that have disinflated a bit are plateauing and maybe starting to rise. And if I'm buying that bag of bacon and my salary is only going up or I'm only getting a new job, which is what the employment data is telling us, that I can afford the bacon, why would the price go down? And so it's very hard to, like, have an economy revving back up. And this is what a lot of people are arguing right now. The whole economic world is latching on to this concept of no landing. You know, you've heard soft landing versus hard landing for the economy. This past month, people are really starting to talk about no landing. Okay, well, if there's no landing, meaning that the economy stays vibrant and active in the employment area, then there's not going to be any drop in the prices for goods if there's no slowdown in the economy. Because if I'm already buying these goods at this price and I have a job and I only leave my job to take a higher paying job, which is what the labor market tells us, I'm not going to stop buying bacon. And so why would the producers drop the price? It doesn't, um, you cannot have a no landing economy and a drop in inflation. It just doesn't make any sense. You can have a strong economy and a falling inflation or rather low inflation. Sorry. You can have a strong economy and low inflation. But you cannot have an economy like starting up and strong with already existing inflation and expected to go down. A lot of people are saying, oh, well, it's okay if the economy does well. There are plenty of instances in history where the economy was strong and we didn't have bad inflation. Well, yes, because there wasn't inflation when the economy started strengthening. So if you start from no inflation or light inflation, the economy strengthens. There are certain economic conditions where inflation doesn't pick up necessarily next to growth. But once you already have the inflation in the system and you start revving back up, it's not going to go down, except for the stuff that was specifically COVID supply chain driven. And that seems to be worked out of the system. And that's why the market is suddenly having second thoughts, because Jerome Powell's tone with that logic was completely wrong in his last press conference. Oh, by the way, I like bacon too, Oliver. Uh, last question. I really do like bacon. <laughs> um, and I like steamed dumplings, which has nothing to do with bacon and eggs, but I really do like Chinese steamed dumplings. Uh, Oliver, la- last question. dumplings I'm a big fan of. Uh, what kind? Soup dumplings. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that stuff is uh, – man, I mean, it's only breakfast, but I could go for that right now. Uh, last question, Oliver. Let's talk about uh, consumer debt. You, you talked about some of the economic data – uh, you talked about a no landing recovery, uh, or I don't know what you call it a recovery, but it's a no landing um, market. Yeah, no, mar- that's it. Yeah, recovery. Uh, where do you, you factor in consumer debt? Because these food prices, you know, maybe some of the other supply chain related issues have kind of 
segued in terms of inflation. But that food price, a lot of people still charging on their credit cards from what we have seen from credit card um, manufacturers or mm-hmm. providers. People are taking on more debt. Does that give the market more headwind? Because somewhere along the line, the banks are going to call the bluff and say, "All right, you need to. We're going to raise rates, and we're going to we're going to we're going to want you to pay that debt off." Oh yeah, that is um, absolutely a major issue. This is why the market is basically in a catch twenty two. There's really no way out. Employment is strong enough, and people have enough jobs to keep spending and not and avoid buckling under their credit card debt because of the strength of the economy. So the options basically are either Powell and the Fed don't hike rates, employment remains strong, people keep spending, inflation goes up or stays the same when it's already too high, or uh, he does tighten things up and people will suffer from the debt that they've incurred. So there's not a lot of ways out right now. It's definitely a problem. Yeah. Would you want that job? If, if they called you up, President Biden called you up and said, Oliver, I want to nominate you for uh, the Fed chairman. If, would you want that job? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, got, you got a pretty good job now, I think. You get to break it all down yeah, for people. Yeah, but, uh, you, get, yeah, you got a great job. Maybe one day. Yeah, All right, I'm going to put in a good word for you. <laughs> on that note, he's Oliver Rennick. You can catch him every weekday on the TD Ameritrade Network. Take care, my friend. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you again very soon. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Bye-bye. Well, good morning. Welcome back to the broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Sunday for Sunday, February 19th, 2023. We've got another great show for you this week as members of the media, academia, financial services, and government stand by to analyze all the news and events for the week. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode of BRN Sunday. 